This episode was underwritten by the Tamsin G Association, Warrior Queen, and Chris Giddings. To learn more, you can visit ohmydollar.com slash support. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here, we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake, and it's Healthcare Month. This week, we're back with our hot, hot Healthcare Month content. Researching American healthcare, the thing that makes me not want to get out of bed in the morning. Today, we're talking about that fun intersection of getting healthcare and trying to keep or get a job. In the United States, healthcare is provided by the majority of people through their employers. But even outside the U.S., your health has a big effect on your livelihood. How do you balance being an employee and being a human with actual medical needs, like most humans? It's easier when you're job hunting to just say, oh, health insurance provided and assume it will be fine. But how do you actually size up and evaluate the healthcare package? What if it's not good, but you still want the job? If you need specific healthcare, cancer screenings, insulin, biological, prep, how do you bring it up in the job negotiation process without outing yourself? Mac Pritchard with MaxList, a job listing service and career counseling company, said it's very normal to get further details on the health insurance once you have a job offer in hand. He emphasized that the time to have a discussion is when a job offer is on the table, not before that point. Most negotiating power that you have is once you have a job offer in hand. It's normal to talk to an employer about health care benefits once a job offer is on the table. You need to remember two things. One, don't talk, ask about benefits in a detailed way until you have that offer because that's when you're most attractive to an employer. And that's when these conversations typically take place. And the, and the second thing to remember is it is okay to ask lots of questions, to ask to see uh, about the start date of coverage, about the cost, and about exact benefits. In my case, when I needed to know if the health insurance plan would cover my drug, I asked during the salary negotiation call for the specific plan name so that I was able to look up details on my own about the plan online. This gave me information on the copays, ability to look up coverage benefits, and look up the formulary to see if my drug was covered. It wasn't an option for me to take the job if my drug wasn't covered because it's really expensive. If there's only one plan available and it doesn't cover the kinds of things you need, the plan the employer gets probably won't change. Even at small companies, these things are set up and negotiated in an annual contract with a health insurance company. However, there might be other ways an employer can change your compensation package. Employers usually pick up 50 to 80% of the premium. If you know you're going to have large out-of-pocket costs, you can go back to the employer and ask them to consider increasing their contributions. Or you can ask them to increase your compensation to cover the difference in your out-of-pocket contribution. You may be able to ask them not to cover you under the plan if they can legally exclude access so that you can get a plan on your own through the exchange. You don't need to disclose any of your medical conditions to the employer in order to learn about the plan and the benefits. This is a very normal conversation to have in the salary negotiation process. It's also important to note when coverage begins, you may have costs because of gaps of coverage. Many employers don't begin health insurance benefits until 30, 90, or, or sometimes even one year after employment. In that case, it's important to weigh the costs that you'll have getting your own coverage until that coverage kicks in. In the interim, you can either get coverage through the state's exchange or by extending your current coverage through COBRA. 
But note that COBRA is a relic of the old system and it is a lot more expensive usually than getting a plan on the state's exchange. It has very high, essentially, costs that they charge just for the administration of the plan. So what happens if you end up sick when you're already working or your health situation changes? If you have something like a communicable illness like flu or whooping cough, it's possible that it's not even legal for you to work. But there are a number of sicknesses that are not communicable, including mental health, that might cause you to miss or need to reduce work. If your health situation changes and say you're working a full-time job with frequent travel and you need to start working remotely from home, you may have to ask to change positions within your company. If there's not a possibility of changing or adapting the position, then you need to figure out a way to negotiate some time off. In the US, all firms and public employers in school are required to have FMLA in place if they have more than 50 employees, which is called Family Medical Leave Act. With FMLA in place, the Family Medical Leave Act, this allows you to take 12 weeks of unpaid time off for the birth or adoption of a child or your own health needs. The big thing here is that you have to be able to keep your group health insurance plan and your job has to be protected. The other thing to know about FMLA is that it doesn't have to be continuous. Great thing about FMLA is that you can use some of that time in, you know, one day at a week or you could use it to leave early. The big thing to know about those 50 employees that are required for FMLA is that seasonal employees count. So I worked at a small nonprofit, but it turned out that because we had seasonal employees, we actually did qualify for FMLA. The thing about these 12 weeks is that it doesn't have to be consecutive. If you need to work a part-time schedule, you can get FMLA days to work half days or one day a week off. Lady Duck on the forums said she had dysmenorrhea, which is painful periods, when she first started working and had to take essentially one day off a month. She said, I didn't know all the questions to ask at the time of hiring, but it was still scary when I had to go to my manager after I realized I was going to need regular but slightly unpredictable days off work. Then I had to have the conversation all over again after I was diagnosed with anxiety and I could not work full time. I definitely looked up as much as I could about their HR systems before taking it to my boss. Listener S wrote in with a question that's even more complicated. She says, I work for a small company of eight employees where the owner is very involved day to day. Recently, the owner mentioned in passing during lunch that the company may get rid of health insurance coverage next year since it's getting too expensive. She explicitly mentioned that she could not she could get covered on her partner's insurance and was trying to figure out that if it was legal consequences to dropping health insurance for all of her employees. She has a history of changing people's hours or company policy around PTO sick time based on her own whims, and I'm concerned I won't even get enough notice if this really does happen. I'm trying not to freak out, but I need my health insurance coverage as I'm a breast cancer survivor, but I don't know how to have the conversation with my boss about this. I actually like my job, and it's hard to find work in my field, but human resources has never been my boss's strong suit. I have a good working relationship with her, but she tends to get offended whenever someone brings up something like paid time off, OSHA, or healthcare. How do I broach this? S, I'm sorry to say this is definitely going to be a awkward and not fun conversation. My advice, quite simply, though, is to tackle the awkwardness head on because there is a lot that's about to come up if you do lose your health insurance. Might as well be awkward to either prevent that or confront it ahead of time. Bring up to your boss, I heard you might be eliminating health insurance. Since this would have a big impact, I hope that you would give us a lot of notice. Since you do say you get along well with your boss, you should remind her that health insurance is a big factor for a lot of people in deciding to pick a job. 
And I know you said you like this job, but I don't know. This job sounds maybe not ideal. <laughs> Is there a possibility that you can get another job? If it's rising costs that your employer is worried about, you might be able to actually get your employer to give you what's called a health care stipend. And this is something that she can give you where you can go get coverage on your own, and it would stabilize the costs, essentially eliminate that human resource cost of having to figure out a new plan each year to cover employees. Um, and she can actually do this with tax-free money, depending on how she's structured, but most corporations or LLCs would be able to do this with tax-exempt money for their employees. And this might be something that you could bring up to her as an alternative plan. You could also say, oh, maybe I can help with researching plans. It's a big deal to lose your health insurance, though, and you should make sure to accurately represent to her that that would be seen as taking a pay cut for everyone because it's a large part of your compensation package. Well, us, I hope that helps. Oh My Dollar is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, also known as the Personal Finance Society. Folks that pledge $1 or more per month get stickers, perks on our forum. You can, you can find out more at ohmydollar.com slash support. Time for our new segment, Why is American Healthcare So Freaking Broken? In a story reported by Kaiser Health News, Patients who should be eligible for free or discounted health care instead have been sent over $2.7 billion in bills by nonprofit hospitals, leaving many low-income people into medical bankruptcy. Under the Affordable Care Act, nonprofit hospitals are mandated to provide free or discounted emergency care to patients with low incomes. Nonprofit hospitals that do not provide so-called charity care risk losing tax-exempt status. But in a survey of over 1,000 hospitals with nonprofit statuses, Kaiser Health News found that 45% of them were sending medical bills to patients whose incomes are low enough to qualify for charity care. These hospitals have $2.7 billion in collective written-off debt sent to patients whose income would have qualified them for financial assistance. 56% of American community hospitals have this nonprofit status, which excludes them from paying most taxes and allows them to have access to tax-exempt bonds for things like building new hospitals. One study found that Americans had $81 billion in medically-related collections in 2016, forcing many into bankruptcy. In one lawsuit against St. Joseph's Hospital, it was found that workers were told never to voluntarily offer patients a financial assistance application. If patients did ask for one, workers were instructed to ask for a deposit at least three times. Over half the applications that were submitted were rejected due to a large amount of required documentation. One patient at St. Joseph recalled that the financial assistance application was so complicated it asked the make and model of her car. In the case where applications were successful, ER doctors frequently have their own practice group and are not required to follow the hospital's financial assistance policy, leaving many patients on the hook for tens of thousands of dollars even after a successful financial application. Former employee Rachel Murphy said it became this money-making system. People would be crying at the registration desks. People would be upset. People would walk out. That was our depressing healthcare news story this week. It's really great. We live in a great country. Well, I think that wraps our show for today. We love hearing from you. Email us your financial worries, successes, or any healthcare questions you have at questions at ohmydollar.com or tweet us at Anomaly or at ohmydollar. Oh My Dollar is recorded at X-Ray FM Studios in Portland, Oregon and syndicated through PRX. This episode was engineered by Tony Scholl. Our videographer is Chase Bross. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki and I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. <laughs>